Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the shed, uh, the wonderful third space, the temporary third space here at the National Theatre, while the Cottesloe is being transformed into the Dorfman. Um, we are on the set of uh, Debbie Tucker Green's play, Nut, um, and we will have to finish absolutely bang on time because we had to dismantle some of the set in order for us to be able to talk about 100 Great Plays for Women. Uh, my name's Kate Moss, I'm on the board here and I'm a writer, and it's my enormous uh, privilege, actually, to be here to celebrate the publication of 100 Great Plays for Women, written by Lucy Kerbel. The launch was last week at the National Theatre Studio, and this is the biggest audience we've had for a platform for some time, so that is also <laughs> fantastic. Um, yes, exactly, yay! <laughs> um, so, Lucy, mm. um, I'm tempted to say, tell me all about it but uh, what I'm actually going to say is you were a director you were yep. a resident director at the National Theatre Studio and then at English Touring Theatre so you were already working in the profession yes but out of that as you started to work came the idea for this book so can you just tell us a little bit about the genesis of the project yeah absolutely so yes yeah, so um, so I began thinking about this book in 2009 and um, by that time, I'd been working as a director for a few years, um, a theatre director, and um, really, I'd, I had begun noticing a couple of things. I had begun to notice that when I was sat in the rehearsal room, um, more often than not, I would be one of a uh, few women in the rehearsal room. Um, there'd be me, there'd probably be female stage management, there might be one or two women in the cast, um, but in the main, it would be men. I'd, I'd just begun to notice it. And uh, I had also begun to notice that whenever I went to the theatre, which was an awful lot, um, I'd look at who was on the stage. And again, more often than not, almost always, I would see lots of men on the stage and not so many women. And I would notice that when I did see the women uh, on stage, that they tended to be of a narrower age and physical type bracket. <laughs> uh, I'd notice that they, they said less, generally. Um, I noticed that they were less likely to be the protagonists or less likely to be really driving the action. They were more likely to be sort of satellites of the male protagonists. Um, and, and I just began to... Well, I, I suppose I'd begun to notice it. Maybe I'd always noticed it, but um, but I'd always sort of thought, okay, well, that's a bit crummy, you know, but that's just how it is. I, I suppose I was thinking that's just how it is, and also I was very, very focused uh, on my directing career, so I was sort of noticing these things, and, and these things that didn't always make me feel entirely comfortable, um, or these things that I didn't always entirely agree with, but I was sort of so... Uh, focused on, on getting ahead and doing good work in good places that I sort of went, okay, well, that's someone, else, that's someone else's deal to look after that. And presumably it's the, uh, the problem that anybody faces in that sort of situation, that you are in a particular play and then you're in another play. Yeah. But you don't actually know statistically if what you are personally seeing is accurate for everything. It's just your experience. So it takes a while yeah. to build up a bigger picture. I think, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, th I think, you know, I, I remember sort of once just leafing through the brochures of a, of a few theatres and looking at the plays that were on and going, God, there really aren't many roles for women at all. But I think for me, it was an intervention. I went to Sweden for work uh, a few years ago. Um, 
it was actually it was 2009, so around the time I began thinking about the book. And um, I, was, uh, I was there for work, because uh, I was directing in London at Soho Theatre, I was directing the English language premiere of a Swedish play that had been like a massive hit in Sweden. It was sort of their shopping and fucking. Sadly, it wasn't such a hit in the UK, but <laughs> the Swedes thought it was amazing. So the Swedish embassy part funded a English language production of it here. And they were on a bit of a drive at the time to promote Swedish drama in the English speaking world. So they flew me over to Stockholm for a few days just to visit some of their theatres as, as well as sort of meet the playwright. And, um, and I was in Riksteatern, which is Sweden's national theatre, and I was being shown around their building by one of their creative producers. And she was giving me the tour and I was asking lots of questions, being very polite. And uh, she explained they still have a rep system. So they still have whatever it is, you know, 20 actors, 30 actors, I'm not sure how many, but that are there and they perform all the plays for any one year. And so I sort of said to her, OK, great, and how many men, how many women? And she said, oh, well, obviously, it's half and half, half male, <laughs> half female. We like obviously. Yeah, though. obviously. That's the key word. Yeah. And I thought about a very different national theatre that I'd worked in here quite a lot, and I remember thinking that doesn't tend to be the case. Um, and so I said, but what do you do with the women then? You know, do you, you know, do you pay them less or do you not employ them for part of the year because there's only so many shows they can, they're in, surely? And she went, why would we do that? And I said, oh, but surely you don't put them on stage as much because there aren't as many parts for women. And she went, oh, no, 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 here in Sweden, a load of the theatres, we've all agreed that over any three-year period, we're going to try and we're going to endeavour to employ as many men as women in every area of our theatres, <laughs> including on stage. And for me, it was, it was a huge epiphany moment. And so, you know, I did my few days in Stockholm and then I flew back here and this was sort of bubbling away in the back of my head. And I was, you know, in, in this building and, and in many other theatres uh, around the UK. And I was just, I just sort of began having conversations with colleagues, you know, while making a cup of tea in the green room on a tea break. I'd sort of say, there's this thing going on in Sweden where that there's women on stage. <laughs> and, there's, you know, and, there's, and there's quite a lot of women on stage. And I just began going, could we do that here? I mean, I know it might sound bonkers, but could we actually have women on stage as much as men on stage here in this country? And this was when I just began hearing this phrase that I mentioned in the introduction to the book, which was again and again, people just said, oh yeah, there aren't any great plays for women, or there aren't any good plays for women, or well, we did Top Girls, or well, you can't, <laughs> you can't do the House of Bernard or Alba forever. Um, and for a while I kind of went, oh, okay. And then I just, I, I remember I was, um, I was on a beach, I was on holiday in Bali, and I was on a beach. And I remember just sitting there thinking, but that's nonsense to just kind of go, well, there aren't any, let's just accept it. And I thought, well, maybe we should just double check before <laughs> we, you know, before we continue to assume for the next however many years that there's top girls and, and that's it. So um, I, uh, I was thinking at first it would be really useful just to put together a list uh, of lots of plays that have mainly female or all female plays. And, and it's important to say you weren't looking for plays written by women. No. You were looking for plays written by men and women. But it, So your focus was absolutely on the yeah. stage and the roles for actors. It never occurred to me to restrict any kind of list to just female writers. Um, it, it, yeah, that, that thought didn't even mm. enter my brain. So it always surprises me when people assume that the plays I've written about in the book are all by women. 
But I, at first I was thinking, oh, it'd be lovely if we could put together a list or maybe it's an online database which teachers would use because I know, and anyone here who's ever done any kind of drama teaching or worked in a youth theatre or been in a youth theatre will know <laughs> generally they're full of girls and a few boys. Um, so at first I was thinking maybe it's a list, um, maybe it's an internet database. And then I went to the National Theatre Studio where I'd been based previously and I had a conversation with Penny Morell who was running the studio at the time. And she said, well, I, I think it's great if you compile a list, um, but I think they should be really good plays. I think they should be great plays. I think they should be brilliant plays that theatres will want to stage mm. now, the plays that have stood the test of time, um, because it's not enough to say, here's a list of plays that have mainly female casts if they're mediocre plays. Well, it, I mean, it's worse than that. It can be counterproductive. counterproductive, yes. exactly. And of course, there's loads of mediocre plays out there for every different type of cast. You know, it's not, ex <laughs> it's not exclusive. None of them are put on here, ladies and Obviously gentlemen. Not. I think <laughs> Obviously not. But, you know, but, but out there in circulation. And so Puni said, well, why don't you... Let's see how we go. Try and find 20 really brilliant plays that, you know, <laughs> can really stand out. And maybe we'll put them in a list and circulate them to theatres. So I spent some time at the NT studio doing that and found loads more than 20. And quite quickly, it became clear that it was a much bigger piece of work. So that's when Penny said, oh, I think you should write a book about this. And I sort of went, oh, OK. Um, and inwardly went, no, that's not going to happen. And then, and yeah, but then they made it possible for me to do that. I think um, that's one of the most important things about the book is that it is very easy to see a problem and then bemoan the problem. But as an artist, and I'm sure there are many writers and directors and actors in this room mm. who will have had precisely the same issue, that you want to do something about it, but actually you're working and you're moving forward. But what is different here is that you are providing, if mm. you like, uh, the answer to that question, mm. there are no great plays for women, because you're saying, here they are, yeah. off you go, dear, yeah. um, do it for yourself. Yeah. So did you, when you were starting to do that, have the sense that this could genuinely be making a big contribution to how the canon of what is put on could yeah. be changed? Yes. It felt that big to you when you were it doing did, it? Yeah, it did. I th and I very, very, very much hope that professional theatres will use the book. But I also really, for me, am particularly keen that this book gets into the bloodstream of youth theatre, of schools, of colleges, because actually tomorrow's generation of audience members and of theatre makers are currently hanging out in, in youth theatres and schools uh, and colleges and university drama societies. And unless we change things now, unless we, unless we change their expectations, we, our industry will not look much different in another 10 years and another 10 years and another 10 mm. years and I'm, I'm not saying that all we need to do to make progress is to change expectations we need to do a lot more than that but I think it's very important that another generation doesn't grow up with the expectation that drama is a very is automatically a male-led form um, and also I think it's it's important for for women and men to recognise that women's voices, women's stories, women's experiences are just as valuable and just as valued and just as interesting and just as dynamic on stage as, as men's stories and experiences and voices. And indeed, life. And life, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, one of the mm. things before I, I'm going to ask you about particular plays mm. that you discovered, because it is about creating a new canon of mm. work that, so that more plays, a sort of plurality of writers' yeah. voices, are seen as core texts rather than peripheral texts. Yeah. 
But of course, you were writing this in an environment where there is more discussion about where are the women in yeah. all sorts of uh, fields, mm. whether it's politics, business, arts as well. And one of the ways that um, things had been uh, moving in this area had been gender-blind casting. Mm. Now, you felt very strongly that, that is a, that's a good and mm -hmm. interesting thing, but that actually there was much more work available. Did you know for certain um, that you were going to discover certain types of work in every period of time, or were you expecting mm. it to be mostly contemporary writing? Yeah, I mean, most of the plays in the book are 20th century, for obvious reasons. And then there are some which go back, which are older. I would love for there to be more older plays in the book, or more pre-20th century. Um, and I think they're not there, partly because, of course, women were not encouraged to write. Men were not encouraged to write about women. Um, but also... Um, a criteria that I imposed on myself was that every play in the book had to be published because I could see, and, and that in itself was is slightly uncomfortable because it has limited the mm -hmm. plays that were up for consideration. But I thought, well, if you run a theatre or an amateur dramatic society or, you know, or you're a drama teacher in a school, actually there's no point in you not being able to get hold of these plays. Um, so they had to have been published. And for very obvious reasons, there are there were most probably an awful lot of plays written about women that have simply been lost or by women um, before a certain date, arguably even now. But you do have plays from the fourth century yeah. BC, don't yeah. you? Yes. So just tell us a couple of your sort of linchpin plays that you were particularly thrilled to find. Because um, we want to whet the appetites. Any artistic directors here? Yes. Say, I want them to be going out, going right. That is the That's next the play we're do. putting on. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh, it's where to begin. There's, I mean, yeah, there is. There's a couple of Greeks. Very good book here if you want yes, to look at it. Yes. <laughs> I just remind myself of what's actually in here. It's a while since I finished it. Yeah. I mean, the, there was. There's a couple of Greek plays in there. Um, there's Women of Troy, which a lot of people will know, and and that's worth saying that. It felt to me very useful that there are some plays in the book that we all know. We don't always realise that they're mainly female, but Women of Troy is a kind of ancient example. Um, Blythe Spirit by Noel Coward is a far more recent example. Lady Windermere's Fan by uh, Oscar Wilde. Those sort of uh, well-known, almost canonical plays uh, <laughs> are in there. And then there are plays that we don't know so much about. So I and I, was talk, I did Women's Hour this week, which was a personal triumph to do Women's <laughs> Hour. But I am um, I was speaking about a, a play uh, by Aristophanes called Women in Parliament. It's sometimes translated as Women in Power or the Assembly Women, which I think is absolutely hilarious. I think we don't yet have a really good version of it done. So if anyone in here is a translator or a writer, get on it and do a really good version of it. But I think it's it's hilarious. It's basically about a bunch of women who dress up as men and uh, they sort of knit themselves fake beards and stuff and, and go and they get into the parliament building and, and they take over and they establish a communist state. Um, <laughs> it's just like that. And then they do all sorts of stuff about who you are and aren't allowed to sleep with. But it's very, very funny and it's, um, it's, it's often described by the editors of the you know, sort of published Aristophanes collections as almost like, oh, I don't, we don't know what, what this nonsense is. 
And actually, I think it's really funny. And I think maybe they just didn't get the joke. So there's, you know, <laughs> so there's that. But what was interesting, actually, is I was doing the research. I would sort of read plays. And then if I was thinking of putting them in the book, I'd try and read around them. So I'd go online and I'd look for reviews of productions. And it was interesting how many plays were getting dismissed by critics quite frequently. So one example there is um, The Odd Couple, you know, the Neil Simon. We, we Most of us know it is the Walter Matthau and uh, Jack Lemmon film, but it was a, a play um, originally. And uh, Neil Simon in the 80s rewrote it into an all-female version, which is light entertainment. It's in here, because I think light entertainment <laughs> is absolutely vital to theatre as much as really kind of serious, weighty things. Um, and it is just absolutely hilarious. And it's kind of like a masterclass in comedy writing. It's like every single line is funny. It's just it, the way it's constructed. It's sort of like an exquisite Swiss watch. It's beautifully made. And I was looking at some reviews of it. Um, someone had put up some old reviews of when it went on in about 1986 on, on Broadway. And basically, the reviewers were sort of saying, oh, well, it's not as funny as the male one. Oh, it's a bit disappointing. Oh, it's not very good. And I thought, actually, no, that's not. I don't think that's the case. So part of putting these plays in, whether they are known plays or not so well-known plays, is almost to look at them with fresh eyes and go, actually, do these have merit? Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. very much feel that everything that's in here does really have merit, regardless of what may have been said about it in the past. And did you make a decision, um, you know, you mentioned the comic yeah. um, timing of that, um, that you would like certain sorts of themes to be represented so that you didn't want it to be very domestic heavy or very love heavy. Mm. Uh, no, did you actively think, right, I've got too many of these and not enough funny plays and I want some about war and some about yeah. faith? Yeah. yeah. So there was a very, um, yeah, there were active decisions would be uh, that I made about achieving a range across the hundred, which is why I'm very clear in the instructions this book this is not the definitive guide of the hundred greatest plays ever written for female cast because I, a, I would feel like a bit of an idiot trying to mm. claim to be able and to write that. And then you know that. what? No volume two. Well yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Very good marketing. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think if anyone else in here wants to volunteer to write number oh. two then you can do it for me. Um, yeah so there, there really was a there was a very conscious editing process going on where I you know I could have very easily filled a filled hundred slots with plays about marriage really easily and really great plays about marriage um, and because of course that characterized women's lives for it's so recent that marriage has not become and marriage marriage and their motherhood has not become sort of the career the career and 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 the, the raison d'etre of women um and and that, that there is choice in 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 some parts of the world um so and I really wanted there to be a range so that there were plays which were funny and, and light, that there were plays which were really weighty and political, that there were plays which are about what are traditionally considered to be women's issues. I felt it was important they went in. But equally important, I felt there should be plays which are about anything else that affects human beings, whether that's war or technology or art or faith or anything, all those things that equally affect men and women, maybe in different ways, but they affect them equally. So I felt it was important there were plays like that. I felt it was important that there were little teeny tiny plays that could be performed in little tiny studio theatres or maybe on a stage like this. Um, but also that there were massive plays that could fill really big stages mm. and that had really big casts. Because that also is important, isn't it? One of the issues of 
plays written by women, mm. but also that are peopled mostly mm. by women, sometimes being very strong in smaller spaces, but not necessarily getting the large uh, spaces to play with. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think there's a, there's, an in, there's a really interesting conversation to be had there about what is being programmed in terms of what women write. There is a, an argument that's often put forth is women write smaller plays than men, or plays about women's lives are inherently smaller in that you could fill a stage of this size with a play about a woman's life or a play by a woman, but actually that would really struggle if we put it on the Olivier. <laughs> And I don't know if that really holds water because I don't think women are sort of biologically less capable of writing big plays if they want to. Um, I think sometimes it's a choice, but then I also think you need to be given the opportunity. It's a privilege that not many people are given to be allowed to be paid to write a play for one of those big stages out there. And it's also about us looking at the, about the structure that we have in this industry about how we make decisions as to who those resources and who those opportunities are going to be given to. And I think that's absolutely the heart mm. of that question. Um, one of the things that I really love mm. um, is that you do the quick and easy gender audit at the beginning. So each play is introduced with, you know, when it was first performed, the title, and then the gender audit. Very straightforward. X number of roles for women, X number of plays, uh, roles for men. And of course, you know the minute that that button has been activated in one's mind, you can't turn it off, no. obviously. But it's a very quick and easy guide to actually see the shape of work yeah. um, across the board. And presumably that, again, was one of your aims, that people could buy the book, um, buy the book, and uh, go through and immediately say, um, OK, this will suit the space that I can program for, or this will... Yeah be a play that I can go and say to a director, oh, I would like to be in this play, yeah. any chance? Yes. I mean, I think the reality for a lot of theatres, particularly in the subsidised sector, and I think it will become more and more this way, is, is programming by numbers. It's doing the maths and going, right, we have to pay an actor X amount of money per week. We need to rehearse for X amount of weeks, and then the run will be on for X amount of weeks. When we've totaled that up, how many actors can we afford? Okay, so last year we could afford six actors for this show in this slot. This year we can afford five actors. Who knows, maybe in a few years' time we'll be doing lots of one-person shows. I hope not. But um, There are monologues, though. There are ten monologues. In the book. Ten, ten in the back, yep. Um, yeah, so I, I think it is useful for theatres to go, okay, we've got a budget of four. Or for that teacher who's teaching A-level theatre studies to go, right, I've got four girls studying A-level A-level theatre studies this year and one boy. What? What's what play gives me that? What's in here? Yeah. But it was also, I mean, I, I think something that's worth pointing out is that the, the main criteria for entry in the book was that the plays all have to have, basically have to have more women in them than men. Um, so some of the plays have all female casts, some of the plays have mainly female casts, but in the ones that have men in, the, the women are playing at least an equal role in driving the action. That was sort of the criteria we imposed. And part of it, um, to be honest, came from, from actresses, from just being friends with, with a lot of uh, actors and actresses and, and working with them. And just going, it's crummy because the opportunities to be employed are so, they're far, far fewer. And I, I do a thing where I have a, um, I, have, and I think a lot of directors do this, I don't think it's just me. I have spreadsheets of actors I've worked with. And that might be just someone I've worked with on a half-day reading or it might be I've done a whole production. And I just have their names and I have contact details. And it's just so that if I'm casting something, it's just a million times quicker just to glance back at your spreadsheet and go, oh, yeah, he was good or she was lovely. That, that'd be great. 
I think quite a lot of directors do that. Now, I know that the spreadsheet that I have for the actresses I've worked with is probably about a quarter of the length of the spreadsheet I have for the men, for the actors that I've worked with. And I go, well, I, I'm a feminist. I'm a loud and proud feminist. I care about this. And that's what my list looks like. And I think in part the book was just about recognising there is so much talent that is not being allowed to, to thrive, really. And there are so many uh, women who I would love to see on stage, but I, I don't see enough of them because apparently they're the wrong age or they've got the wrong look or their voice doesn't sound quite right or they're, they're the wrong ethnicity or, or whatever. And actually it was about going, well, let's, um, let's just make some more parts for women mm. because there, there are a lot of brilliant actresses out there. And it fits very well with the call to arms. I, any of you have read Janet Sussman's rather wonderful book, Not Hamlet, uh, which ends with a sort of cri de coeur saying, you know, what we need is big parts written for women. Where is the female Hamlet? So I think there's, you, you've, you're absolutely a part of a, a, a wave, I think, of people thinking, let's recalibrate how our stages yeah. look, which is fantastic. Um, we are going to have to give the playhouse back to the players, of course, mm -hmm. um, and they have to rebuild some of the set, which makes it even more complicated. Um, but I think just to finish, um, one of the things that is so important about this book, and I think you will all have, have realised this from listening to Lucy talk, is that we all know anyone who works in theatre, writers, actors, designers, set designers, whatever role anybody has, People work very, very hard. There isn't necessarily the time to do the research. The thing is that Lucy's done it for us. Um, so I think, Lucy, it's a very important mm. book. Um, artistic directors and actors and writers owe you a debt here. Uh, but more important for all of you, and I know that you are all going to buy your copy uh, when you go out. Lucy is going to sign copies uh, when you go outside. Um, I know that's now the fifth time I've said that, but I think it's very important <laughs> as a working writer that you support the artist um, here. Um, but I think the most important thing is that this sort of initiative mm. um, is only works because it's a great read. And that, I think, is the biggest triumph of all. So, ladies and gentlemen, Lucy Kerbel.